time. Time. All of you are conscious of time. And so am I, especially on a day like today, which I've endearingly called a kitchen sink Sunday. Praise God we have everything today. Like everything that the church celebrates together just about. We're celebrating it today. But time, not just in a service, time. It's a gift from God. A part of His design for this brief life that we all live on earth, but as we all know, it's limited. Time is limited. On average today, people live 80 years. That's 29,200 days. But that says absolutely nothing about how much time God has given to each of us. It could be longer, and it could be much, much shorter. Only God knows this, right? But He knows it indeed. Psalm 139 tells us that God is the one who formed us, fashioned us, made us like we are. He knit us together in our mother's womb. And then it goes on to say in verse 16, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God has our days numbered. Now we have no idea how much time has been given to us, but God does. God's gift of life and time is a blessing, but here's the question for each of us today. What do we do with it? How do we spend it? What do we trade it for? Will we waste our limited time on worthless pursuits, vanity, or will we spend it purposefully, meaningfully? Will we trust in God, the author of life's plan, or be pulled by the way of the world down the drain of waste. In his unmatched wisdom, Solomon knew the force of this pull toward wasted time. He wrote much about it in the books of Proverbs that we have and in Ecclesiastes. But here in Psalm 127, he addresses parents, especially fathers, regarding the pull toward waste. So I want to read Psalm 127 as we look to God's Word. Psalm 127, verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For He gives to His beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. The word of the Lord. As I said, Solomon is the one who wrote this, the wise son of King David. He was the one that God gave him in his sleep, In a dream, he gave him the opportunity to ask whatever he wanted of him, and Solomon asked for wisdom so that he could rightly lead the people of God. And because his heart was right in this matter, God gave him wisdom and wealth and response. But he knows that we, because he knew he himself, were prone to waste our lives and miss out on God's plan. So in this passage, he encourages us to trust in God, to cherish God, 
God's blessings and to devote ourselves to His purpose. So the main point of our sermon today, which by the way is entitled, The Home That God Builds, the main idea is that we should trust the Father and devote ourselves to what is dear to His heart. I want us to see in this passage, as He addresses us, and I think it's fitting as we look to our Father, and and many of you here are fathers, but this is a word not just to fathers, this is a word from God to all of us, parents, and those who are not parents, those who are, for the most part, you never finish parenting, but you know what I mean, you finished your, at least in the house, parenting. This is a word for all of us. How to avoid wasting time and wasting our life. The first thing that we do, must do, is we must trust in the Father. We must trust in the Father because all of our best efforts outside of Christ are absolutely worthless. All the best things that we do, our best attempts, are worthless if we're not trusting in God. Notice in verses 1 and 2, he says a couple of things. He's regarding just normal activities. Verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Do you see these? That word vain is actually used three times in the first three verses, talking about our, our daily activities being vain unless, unless God is in them. Now, this is a challenge, a stark reminder to all of us that it's possible for us to go about our day to day activities and not have the blessing, the favor, the hand of God in them. Now, the the call for us as the people of God is to never be satisfied living life that way. To be hungry for His presence. To be longing for His guidance. Never to be satisfied if we don't have the assurance that this is God's will, that God's hand, God's favor, God's blessing is upon me in this. And He says here, couple of things I want us to see, and I'm going to try, look, make sure you turn the uh, listening speed up on your ears. You have to listen fast today, because as I said, this is a kitchen sink Sunday. We've got a lot going on. Trust in the Father, because you cannot build a house to satisfy you completely. The first part of verse 1. You cannot build a house to satisfy you completely. Maybe you have had the privilege of building a house together as a couple. Maybe you've had that opportunity to build the house of your dreams only to find out within a few months or a few years that your dreams weren't as great as you thought. There's always some changes you would make after the fact. Like, I thought this is exactly what I wanted, and then you're not satisfied. Even if you are satisfied with the concept, with the plan, and with the way the house turned out, you'll find out that that very expensive shelter that you live in doesn't ultimately satisfy your soul. It's not going to. It can't. But we have such a tendency to work tirelessly to get everything that we want. But the reality is we'll never, ever get there. It's not going to happen. Not in this life. Nothing is truly satisfying without the blessing of God. But everything that has God's blessing is deeply satisfying. So... Know, first of all, that you cannot build the house 
a house to satisfy you completely. But secondly, you cannot protect yourself sufficiently. The second half of verse 1 says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, throughout history, security, safety has been a high priority for us as human beings. During the days of Solomon, when he writes this, important cities would be surrounded by high walls with strategically placed towers um, throughout those walls. And those towers had a place for someone to go up on top and watch over the city. Now, their eyes were primarily not turned into the city. They were turned out looking for dangers that are coming from the outside. And these people were called watchmen. Watchmen, especially in times where there was suspicion of danger, they were stationed in these towers around the clock, 24-7. They would stay and they would take shifts and someone, people, were always watching, armed with bows and arrows, whatever weapons they had to protect the city. And should they see danger, not only be ready to attack, but also to alert, alert the city to do what's necessary to defend itself. Now, we don't have walled cities and watchmen today. But security is still probably at least equally as important. Equally as much a concern for us, and we don't see it in the watchmen on the wall. We see it in high-tech security and surveillance systems in our homes. We see it in smoke, heat, and carbon monoxide detectors. We see it in a pretty incredible, robust gun collection and perhaps defensive handgun training course. We see it in so many ways. We see it in airbags and and the greatest safety ratings and cars that can actually, if we fail to stop in time, stop for us. We see it in all of these, these measures that we take and we strive for safety and security as a society, but God is reminding us here that we cannot ever get to the place, no matter what lengths we go to, we'll never be completely safe from all danger and harm. We can't prevent everything. He says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And what he's telling us is that no matter what great lengths we go to, no matter how much we make ourselves feel safe by our own measures, that's not where our security is found. We'll never find it there. We'll never be able to have absolute confidence. And if we do, our confidence is misplaced. There is one who has all our days numbered. And he will carry us throughout the entirety, every single one of those days, He will carry us to their completion. But we also see that you can't make enough to live comfortably. Verse 2, It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for He gives to His beloved sleep. And what He's saying here is, you work so hard, You get up really early and you work all day long till very late at night and you hardly sleep so that you can work more. Why? So that you can make more. Why? So that you can have more. But guess what? Because you're always working, you can't enjoy it. You're too tired. You're spent. You're caught in a cycle. The more you have, the more you feel you need. So... Instead of getting stuck in the pattern of work, it never allows you to enjoy any of it. It's a bunch of 
Welcome to the Oaks. I'm glad to tell you this morning all these things that you cannot do. You see, you cannot, you cannot. Oh, that didn't come up just right. But um, you can. There are some things that you can do. You can trust in the Father to build not just a house, but a home. The word used for house, unless the Lord builds the house here in verse 1, can, just like the word that we use for house or home in English, can be used two ways. It can describe the structure that we build, that we live in, but it can also describe the household, our family. You all know that home is not a place. It's people, right? That's home. Home is made up of the people, and when we trust in the Father, He will help us to build a family, a home that is good, that is satisfying, that brings Him honor and glory. Instead of missing out on enjoying who He's called us to be as His people because we're so busy trying to have the perfect place to live. You can trust the Father to provide not just security, but eternal security. So we don't have to trust in our own measures. We can trust in our Father who's promised not just to to protect us in this life. No, we're actually told that this life is going to end at some point, but that's okay. Because when it does, it only gets better if you know Him. That's security. That like the worst thing that can happen to you in this life, eternally speaking, will be the best step in your life. Right? That's security. True security that our Father wants us to know. And also you can trust in the Father to supply not just resources, but joyful rest. As Solomon addresses these very practical aspects of our life, Building our home. Protecting our family. Working. It's a reminder that in all of these things, we need to, as the people of God, learn how to trust in the Father instead of taking matters into our own hands. I think the reason why Solomon, why the Holy Spirit led Solomon to address these things is because we have such a tendency in these areas of our life to think that it depends upon us especially as men, to try to take matters into our own hands. And this is a call for us not to trust in the strength of our flesh, but to trust in the loving guidance of our Father. God wants to be involved in every area of our lives. But do we depend on Him? Vanity and endless, anxious work is the result of building your own life. Rest. Peace, deep satisfaction, and eternal significance is the result of trusting in the Father to build our home. But the second thing that I want us to see is not just that we trust in the Father, but that we need to receive His blessings. Receive His blessings. The blessings of God are gifts, not wages. Notice in the end of verse 2, He says, or we'll read verse 2 again. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. The Father gives to his children. 
His children don't earn. Now, this is important for us to understand. Because much of Solomon's writing, if you know anything about the wisdom literature of the Old Testament that mostly is written by Solomon, you know that he, he calls us to diligence, to hard work, not to be sluggards, not to be lazy. And I want you to know that trusting in God is not laziness. He's not speaking against work. He's not speaking against diligence and faithfulness. He's making sure that our heart is right and our priorities are right as we go through life. We need to remember, men, women, boys, girls, that we don't earn any good thing from God. Because if God were to give us what we deserved, any of us, it wouldn't be good. God gives to His children. That's the way God has always, grace is the way God has always dealt with His children. Now this is important Because there is this this mentality, and some people think that it's found in the Bible, a word like God helps those who help themselves. You've heard that before, right? You've read that in Scripture before, right? No. It's not there. But because it's become so integrated into our, our cultural way of thinking, and even American Christian way of thinking, we assume that that's somewhere in the Bible, and the reality is that God helps those who desperately call upon Him, who realize they can't help themselves, therefore, I must call on God. God helps us when we come to the end of ourselves and realize that He's our hope, that He's the answer. That only He is sufficient. You know, the ultimate picture of this reality that God gives to those, and I I point this out because it says He gives to His beloved sleep, and and that would imply that, you know, instead of us working hard and being tireless, not even being being able to enjoy the food that we've worked so hard to provide for our family, that's what verse 2 is talking about, God gives to His beloved rest. And, And that's true, But the New American Standard, if you have a New American Standard Bible, some other translations actually translate that instead of he gives to his beloved sleep, it says he gives to his beloved in their sleep. He gives to his beloved in their sleep. What that means is, look, not while you're working so that you can't take any credit for it. God gives even when you're not doing anything. God gives to his beloved even apart from their efforts. That's what he's saying here. And I think that that is a beautiful hint of the gospel, which is the ultimate picture of this. Think about that. How do we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior? Not by straightening up our lives, by doing better, and by earning His forgiveness. No. It's by realizing that we are broken, that our lives are messed up, and that we've sinned against a holy God, but who loves us anyway. And so He gave His Son Jesus Christ as the ultimate gift to come and give His life sacrificially on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that if we trust in Him, our sins can be forgiven and we could have everlasting life. We don't get salvation and forgiveness of sins by straightening up our lives and then all of a sudden God owes it to us. 
We're saved by grace through faith. This is not of works so that none of us can boast. God gives to his children. We don't earn anything from him. Not in our salvation and not in anything that we do in life. God always deals with us in his love, in his grace, gives gifts. And so we need to remember that as we chart our course and plan our lives to receive God's blessing just by trusting in Him. And the Father gives us, an oppor- he gives us opportunities to reflect Him. And the last thing He does in this passage is He directs us to an illustration of this principle, and that is children. He gives to His beloved in their sleep, and then He begins to talk about children. Now, admittedly, uh, Jason and I were going through this passage on uh, Monday, and and we're reading it, and I'm trying to think, what is the main idea? And we just kind of work through it without the help of commentaries or anything. And it seemed like verses 1 and 2 were just on a completely different subject, heading a completely different direction than verses 3 through 5. And I was, it was interesting, as I later studied the passage, some scholars have actually made statements that they think that this used to be two separate short psalms that were merged together for that very reason. But then as I prayed through and studied through this passage, I realized that, no, no, verses 3 through 5 are actually an illustration of what he's saying. And and the connection, there's two connections. Number one, unless the Lord builds the home, and, and then he goes to God's way of building his home by giving us children. That's the first connection. The second connection, God gives to his beloved in their sleep. This picture of God giving his blessings to us, not when we're striving to earn them, but while we're resting... And then he says, well, this is children are conceived in our rest, you could say. And so he gives us this picture. So how do we not waste our lives and live according to the plan of God? We have to trust in the Father. We have to receive his blessing instead of thinking that he owes us anything or we can earn anything. And then finally, we, we must commit to his plan. And the plan of God is that we reflect his heart. Verses 3 through 5, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. God gives us children. We see a couple of things here. In these verses, we see the Father, God, our Father's heart, towards us and it's it's a heart that we need to align ourselves with in in fact we have a tendency if we allow the culture to pull us toward the drain of ways to think that children are a hindrance that they're a bother that they get in the way that they're a nuisance and though our society isn't saying that out loud it's not shouting it it's demonstrating and it's pulling us in that direction by making us think that we ought to wait later Wait until we're older to have children. Why? Don't have children when you're first married and when you're young, the world would say why. Because you need to have the time to enjoy yourselves. To enjoy life for yourself. Look, I'm walking on uh, thin ice here, but there are churches. I love the churches in our community, and I'm, I'm so grateful for the work of Christ. But do you know that the, the prevailing mindset among churches today is when you come to worship, we want you to be able to 
Drop your kids off before you ever come into here. All your kids, get them out of the way because we don't want you to be distracted and your worship to be hindered. That's not our heartbeat at the Oaks. Now, yes, we have nursery. Yes, we're doing children's church. But you see, it's a means to transition them to be able to worship with us. And you're not obligated to bring children to nursery or send your kids to children's church because our goal is not for you to just come in here and not have to worry about your kids. That's not our goal. Why? Because kids are not a nuisance. They're not a bother. They're a blessing. We need to have the Father's heart and God's perspective about this issue. Children are a blessing. They're not something to avoid. They're not something to run away from. They're something to say, God, thank you for your good gift that you give to us. The Father loves children and He tells us that they're a heritage, a reward, a blessing to enjoy, not a nuisance to deal with. Now, don't get me wrong. I know what it's like. I have five. I know what it's like for those blessings to feel not so much like a blessing. It happens often when you can't sleep at night because that baby won't stop crying. Right? Or when that baby grows up and starts to talk back to you and really show their sin nature to you. Like, that doesn't feel like a blessing. And I know that. But are you going to buy into that lie? Or trust that the Father says, look, these kids are good. They're a blessing. The Father loves His children, but the Father prepares and launches His children. This is what He does for us and the assignment that He calls us to embrace as parents. As we reflect his heart. He says, children, yes, they're a blessing. And he explains, he said, look, they're like arrows in the hand of a warrior. The children of of one's youth are. So arrows. A warrior would not want to go into battle without his weapons of warfare. And Solomon is equating our children to these weapons. Necessary. Why? Because, look, we have a purpose in this world. We have a calling in life. And it's to live Live for a kingdom that is so much bigger than us and that will go far beyond the span of our brief life. And one of the primary ways God calls us to reach into the years beyond the span of our life is to invest in our children, to disciple our children. You see, a warrior, before he goes to battle with his arrows, he would take care to make sure that they're sharp, that they're straight, that the feathers on the back are going to help them fly straight. He's going to make sure that he has good arrows because it's really important in the time of battle. And so we as parents have the responsibility to prepare our children before we launch them, to sharpen them, to teach them. This is our role because here's here's the goal. One day we're going to launch them out into their ministry. And we have no idea when that's going to be. It may be, normally, when they reach adulthood and we send them out. It might happen before that. God may have different plans. But we need to be faithful to do the work of preparing them for that moment that they're launched out to make their impact piercing darkness and advancing the kingdom of God. We have no idea. We have no idea the impact that our children are going to make for the advancement of God's kingdom. 
But we know that it's God's will and His plan. We know that they're a blessing and an instrument that He's given to us to be able to glorify the name of the Lord Jesus beyond the span of our own life. To pass it on to them and the next generation. We also see a picture in verse 5. Blesses the man. One of the reasons why we're blessed to have many children, which is contrary to the, what our society teaches us, have as few children as possible. You can't afford many children. Blessed is the one who fills his quiver with them. That's the thing that holds the arrows. Fill it up. You want as many arrows as you can possibly have. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. And this is speaking of when when he gets to be an older man, the the dad. When he gets to be an older man, there was a practice. They would speak at the city gate whenever there was uh, an, an issue, an argument between individuals. They would go to the city gate and they would hash it out. And oftentimes at the city gate, there would be, you know, uh, much like in a courtroom today, you know, it, could, it, can, it can result in just defaming and, you know, saying all kinds of slander against the person that's there at the gate trying to mar their character so that their argument is invalid. And that sort of thing would happen at the city gate. And he says, look, here's what your children are. They're evidence. They're evidence of your character. They will defend. They will stand in your defense when things get bad. And this is practical. Look, we raise children and we put a lot of work into them. But guess what? One day, we're going to get older and we're going to need their help. And the more children you have, the more help you have. Children are a blessing for many reasons. But he points this one out. You know, they're a blessing because, look, we're going to need their help. And I know it's a lot of work right now and you don't see the payoff. But one day, you're really going to need them. Train them well, and they'll be ready for you, ready to help you. The father prepares and launches his children, and children of God accomplish their father's mission. I want to challenge us to have the right view of of our home, of our kids, of our life. Not live life wasting it in the pursuits that this culture pulls us toward, but instead trust the father and what he wants to do. Have his vision and his view of our children and our families. But what about those who don't have kids? Or those who are finished raising kids? Or what about if you are a kid? I want you to hear this in light of Psalm 127. That every single one of us are called, is called to spend our life on something that is so much bigger than ourselves. Our brief, momentary life, like the drop of a pebble into a lake, is, seems so small. But God intends for our pebble to make ripples that reach the banks of eternity. One way as parents that we see this happen is by investing in our kids and ensuring that the legacy of a biblical home goes on in their families and hopefully they will pass it on to their families and they'll reach out to neighbors and friends and co-workers beyond and the kingdom of God can be advanced. That's one way. But it doesn't only happen in our home. This is a calling for us to live selfless, sacrificial lives. Not just a call to be good parents, it's a call to look to our Father as the example for us in all that we do, certainly as fathers and mothers, as parents. But we want to look to Him in all that we do. We want to trust Him. 
We want to receive from him because we can't earn any, we won't earn anything good from him. And we want to commit to his plans. I want to encourage each of you this morning. I want you to be the best fathers and mothers. I want your children to be blessed. I want you to know his blessing and not live a life that is waste, worthless, vanity, vanity, vanity. But the truth is, the only way to know that is by knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Trusting in him, not yourself. Receiving from him. Committing to his plan. The problem with all of our homes and all of our situations is the same. Do you know what it is? Sin. Sin has wreaked havoc and is wreaking havoc in our lives. And you cannot fix it. But praise God. Jesus came and He took the penalty of our sin to the cross. Or He took the our sin to the cross and bore the penalty in his death. And he rose from the grave victorious over sin and he's seated at the right hand of the Father now waiting for everyone who will call on him. I want you to have a blessed home, but you can't make it happen yourself. God has to build it. And he will. It starts with trusting in Christ. Have you done that? Let me pray for us. Ask the worship team to come back up. Father, I thank you so much for your heart for us. Lord, as I think about you telling us that our children are a blessing, it's because even though we do many things to frustrate you, You love us unconditionally, unwaveringly, and you consider us, you call us your beloved. You consider us a blessing, a heritage. In fact, Paul tells us that we are your inheritance. Lord, I'm thankful for the love that you have for us. and I pray, Lord, that you would release us from our striving and struggling bondage to sin. Free us to trust in Christ and rest in you. Lord, we want to please you, and so help us to lay aside the sin that entangles us and to live life as you intend, by your grace and through the power of your Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would show us how to respond to this message. I ask it in Jesus' name.